It is a presentation of the Hockey Shop, source for sports theory, thehockeyshop.com. This is Ingle Radio, the podcast with the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Hi, everybody. I'm Darren Millard, and we are excited to talk about uh, a great individual accomplishment in the National Hockey League this week. Uh, we will also get into a new uh, measure of uh, rating goaltenders, and it's uh, through analytics, and it's through the goaltending community, and it's uh, fascinating stuff. That, uh, quite frankly, and in total uh, upfront honesty, I'm still getting my head around. And we will also get into uh, another goaltender playing without a significant piece of equipment. It happened again on the heels of Thatcher Demko uh, playing without the uh, blocker. But let's say hello to the guys. And uh, and we're sneaking up on, on Black Friday. So uh, what's happening over at the hockey shop as uh, we uh, tee up uh, Cam and company for the gear segment in a bit? Well, if you happen to subscribe to their newsletter, and if you don't, I would suggest you go to thehockeyshop.com and you should get prompted on first visit to sign up for the newsletter. I believe they even offer prizing the first time you sign up. You're eligible to win for contests. Uh, Yes, surprise face, Darren. You probably signed up long ago and forgot. Um, You may not be eligible to win, however. Ah, But the rest of you are. The rest of you are. So go sign up on the newsletter. And if you had signed up for the newsletter, you would know that some of the items that are going to be on sale on Black Friday are already starting to be, they're, they're sort of releasing some of the details and they'll trickle that out over time. So stay tuned there and stay tuned to all their social media and website because all the details are going to come out ahead of Black Friday. And as we said last week and would like to remind you this week, it's not just about saving money on some of the gear that they have in stock. It may, for a lot of you, be your best opportunity to get the Christmas gift you want under the tree in time. The reality of today's world with shipping and supply chain and a lot of the things that are going on in terms of getting things means you need to think ahead. So Black Friday isn't just to save money, it's to make sure the goalies in your life have what they want under the tree on Christmas morning. You really do need to be thinking ahead to that degree. Uh, and why not save some money at the same time? So Stay tuned here, stay tuned to all their social media channels, and I would highly recommend going to thehockeyshop.com and signing up for their newsletter so you can get heads up and advance warning on all the great sales that are coming for Black Friday at the Hockey Shop and use it to get your Christmas presents on time and under the tree for the goalie in your life. You know, as, as a person that goes through my inbox daily and then uh, getting rid of uh, all the different emails that I subscribe to and then once a week trying to uh, unsubscribe to things. the The hockey shop newsletter is fun. I I, I see that because it doesn't bombard you. And when the sale and you do get one, you know there's a reason for it, and you click on it and you get to peruse. So it's it's a really um, positive part of uh, of but the inbox compared to all the other blah 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 blah. blah. You know, you, when, you, when you mean you like all the? Through. Do you just like search? K Woodley at ingolmag.com and then just like they all come up and you just select all and delete, don't you? That's yes. why I don't hear back from you. I'm going to the junk mail. It it might have something to do with that. You know, you might even skip the junk and just go trash. I just go straight to trash. Yeah, that's about <laughs> right. That's about right. No, it, Kids don't email anymore. What do you got to get with the time? Start texting or Snapchatting Darren now. I bet you if you snap him, you'll get him. You, you know what the new thing is? Voice memo texting so you just you record your voice and you send it because nobody can screenshot it and they play it and it deletes that's the new thing that all the the, all the cool people are using see i have i have i have i have issues with that i find that i i find those difficult i don't actually do it when they get them 
I for some reason too, I'm also often in my car, like the seven game homestand. I think I lived in my car. So like Apple CarPlay doesn't give you the option to play the voice text, I don't think. At least I've had trouble with that in the past. So there's my complaint <laughs> to the world. All you kids think you're cool. You're just being a pain in the ass for us old folks. Hey, uh, oh, what do you start sending voice memos? Our phones are going to run out of memory in the first first or second message you send us anyway. So very who's good got point. time to listen to your voice memos? Ben Bishop of the Dallas Stars is our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. And this is a uh, really cool interview because there's a lot of questions about what Ben's up to right now. And because he didn't play at all last season. And this is just a, a, a neat a conversation that Woody has uh, with the Dallas Stars netminder about uh, his background in goaltending and and a little bit about what the future holds. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, Woody. Yeah, I just uh, lucky to when the Stars came through town, to be honest, wasn't planning it because I think probably like a lot of people, I didn't realize like like Ben is traveling with the team. He is practicing on an almost daily basis with the team. He looks pretty good. And so you know, a lot of questions about what that means when he comes back with Hudobin and Holtby already there. And of course, Jake Oettinger also is in the minor leagues already after playing last season in the National Hockey League. So a lot of depth for the Dallas Stars, but it comes with a lot of questions. And Ben sort of catches us up on on where he's at. But then for the most part, we just get into you know his path to pro and a lot of great lessons about you know how he's become a great puck handler. Uh, saw some examples of that in practice, the extra work he puts in. Uh, not having a goalie coach, like a true technical goalie coach till he was in the American Hockey League. And so just a guy who came up with some different roots, played a lot of different sports growing up. His grandpa was a pro tennis player. Just a good conversation about goaltending and sports and everything. And so thanks to Ben and thanks for the Dallas Stars for making him available. Despite the fact that technically he's on LTIR, um, they, they gave him the option and he took it and sat down and we had a great chat. Yeah, and uh, you when you listen to it, you you will really appreciate uh, how good of a guy he is. Uh, the gear segment today deals with the Vaughn SLR2 sale. Uh, we will get to that in just a second. But first, uh, an update on a few things happening in and around the goalie world. And uh, Zach Vacali, I, I don't know who wants to take this first, but this is one of the great stories uh, in our uh, world of stopping pucks, Hutch. Yeah, it sure is. We've been huge fans of Zach. Uh- Ever since he appeared on the podcast, and Woody, I'm going to get this one wrong again. Episode 96, was it? Zach joined us and and had a, a great chat. Um, really loved just how open he was about what he'd been through. And what he's been through is seven years as a pro before getting his first NHL start last night, his first win, his first shutout. How awesome was it to see the reception when he walked into the room with all the boys greeting him? Huge fans, just because of how open he was about what he'd been through sort of emotionally, because look, here's a guy who was world junior goaltender for Canada. He was drafted by his hometown Montreal Canadians in the second round. This is sort of the golden boy coming out of junior who'd done everything you could do really as a junior, a major junior goaltender. And uh, stardom, I think, was expected, uh, especially the market that he was going into. And and uh, as we all know, it's been a long road for him. Uh, entirely in the East Coast and American League, but but Zach has uh, pushed through, persevered, and uh, and shown that he could do it. And an awesome story in that respect, but I, I think, guys, it really highlights something that we've talked about on here before. I saw Marty Biron make a comment on Twitter this morning about it. The fact that we expect so much of these young men when they come out of major junior hockey at 18, 19, 20 years of age and if they haven't sort of shown that they're ready to make that leap to the National Hockey League by 21-22, 
the Canadians and Americans are sort of considered to be, I don't want to say washouts because Zach has certainly proven that's not the case at all, but they don't get the same opportunities anymore. They get just sort of cast aside and then a Euro goalie can come in after getting time to develop over in their professional leagues at 23, 24, 25 years of age, and they get all kinds of chances. Um, so there's something about the way we're developing goaltenders here in Canada and the United States that I think isn't giving enough chances to these kids. At the same time, kudos to Zach Fukali for pushing through all that, making his appearance, and I'm sure it's not going to be his last appearance, Kevin. Yeah, Sensorina user Zach Fukali. Congratulations. There you go. Parents in the stands as well. Eight years after he was drafted, uh, first goalie taken in that yeah. draft in 2013. So yeah, second round, but first goalie taken. And I think a lot of what you talk about there is, it, to me, it's all about the expectations that come with the draft pick. And then the fact that they're sort of in the public eye in, in those opportunities in the American Hockey League so much more, whereas a, a goalie in Europe, you can play in your domestic leagues and largely, you know, I would say ignored, but like even like, look at, look at Yaroslav Askarov of the Nashville Predators. He was like a super high pick just two years ago. And how much do you hear about his play in the, in the Continental Hockey League right now? Like, I'm sure he's doing well, but I'd be honest with you, I haven't checked. If he wasn't doing well, we, it wouldn't be getting the attention that Fukali would say struggling a couple of years after his draft to acclimatize to pro would get. So I think that's part of it. Obviously, it's Montreal as well. So, uh, But again... He was heading when you talked to him for the podcast, and it was one of my favorite interviews um, that we had. What episode was that? Here, 96. Okay. And H- Hutch did that one, so that's why it was so good. He handled that interview. Um, that's why it's one of the best ones. He, uh, he was just starting with the Washington Capitals at the time, and I was excited for him because I saw some synergies between some of the sort of things that he did at World Junior and some of the coaching he had for the first time at World Junior with, with Team Canada. And some of the exposure he had to some of the things that Scotty also has an emphasis on. And the other guy that deserves a ton of credit here, we, we talk about the Washington Capitals and, and obviously the focus goes to Scott Murray, but Alex Westland, uh, the goaltending coach in Hershey for the Washington Capitals, their American League and, and uh, um, development goalie coach with the Capitals, a guy who has been on the short list for NHL jobs since uh, and will be in the NHL, I think, in the near future, also playing a big role in you know, helping create what is, I mean, look at the, look at what they've done there in Washington. You know, uh, Vitek Vanacek, a guy that a lot of people had overlooked, started in the East Coast League, now in the National Hockey League. They've developed guys there in Washington. So when he went there, I felt good about his chances of maybe, maybe wasn't sure he'd get to this stage, but you, you knew they'd give him a real chance to properly develop. And here we are, it pays dividends. Two things about the draft there. One is, I may have knocked our development system in North America here a little bit, but the other thing that comes out of that as the first goaltender drafted in his draft year, I think Zach's probably gotten a lot more chances than other kids would have been. It would have been a lot worse if you'd been drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, and then you didn't make it as quickly as you should have. Uh, the opportunities that are given to the higher draft picks, um, obviously more than most, although Zach has certainly gone well beyond taking advantage of those opportunities there. He's, uh, you know, just an incredible situation there but the the other piece Kevin I think that you mentioned that is so important that often gets overlooked is people uh rate National Hockey League teams drafts based on uh how far the players move along in their career and they forget that incredibly important component which is development it's not just draft success it's draft and development 
if Zach had been given the opportunity with another organization, would he been have been as successful? Um, it's obviously it's a partnership there between the coaches, the organization, and the goaltender. And kudos to everybody for making that happen. Zach Bacali has played more ECHL games than he has American Hockey League games. That's the road that he that he took. And perseverance is one thing. Uh, owning it is another. Uh, he talks about that in your conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, uh, it, it's just, I, that's the type of path that you would expect somebody who's a <laughs> fifth round pick, uh, sixth round pick, uh, to have to take. So to, to eat it and, and own it and persevere through it and come out on the other end, I don't know how many games he's going to play. I hope he plays a ton, but that's a really cool story. And, and what I liked the most about it was, was his comments on, on just uh, the the journey that he took. It was a very challenging journey. And I, I loved in our conversation how he opened up about that and how he opened up about the importance of being able to lean on somebody else when you're when you're struggling. It's uh we we hadn't really been exposed to a lot of the topics that have been up recently around mental health and so on. But I, I think Zach was certainly alluding to that about the importance of as a young hockey player being able to reach out and speak to somebody. And I think young players are uh, in many respects, scared to talk to anybody. You uh, you know that the people that surround you from a hockey sense uh, have so much control over your career and what happens next that uh, all you really want to do is put your head down and, and sort of persevere. And uh, and it's a challenge to tell people how you're feeling because you're worried about, uh, you know, do I get that next start? Do I get that next opportunity? So having somebody in your life that you can reach out to and and just talk to when things are getting tough and I'm not alluding to anything particularly dark here for Zach. It's just those those struggles of getting through when things aren't maybe developing quite as quickly as you would expect them to. So, uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite interviews. And as we said, we're just really happy for Zach and and hope that this is uh, not only the first of many for him, but maybe a, a good example for other goaltenders and other organizations that uh, opportunities need to be given and, and time needs to be given for development. I, I think it worked out exactly the way it was supposed to work out. He was drafted by Montreal in the second round, and he ends up playing his first game and wins in in a sweater with uh, with the red, white, and blue. And he posts <laughs> a win, and he posts a shutout. So a top prospect, he wins in the red, white, and blue, and he gets the shutout. Uh, all it, it there was just a bunch of years in between, and and a different organization. But but in the end, it it's it exactly the way it was planned. <laughs> no. Uh, I, sure. Yeah, yeah come on. I'm <laughs> probably not quite the route he would have no. wanted, but I bet you today uh, that's all water under the bridge and he's probably just having a great time enjoying the moment. Uh, I hope he is. Uh, we saw Thatcher Demko play without a blocker uh, last week and he made a couple of sensational stops and was diving all over the place and uh, and making adjustments on the fly uh, to take away the, the short side and, and move over. That that was cool. And, and did Andre Vasilevsky feel a little bit left out? Uh, be, because that uh, all this attention that that Thatcher Demko was getting, Woody. Yeah, he uh, he definitely did the same thing. Lost a skate blade on a point shot that just kind of kicked off the toe. You see the skate blade go flying away, and there was a sprawling save at the beginning, and then he just sort of got back up over his knees, stayed between his posts, and anchored himself, sort of using his arms to hold it there. So the rule applies the same, folks. If you lose a skate blade, if you lose a glove, anything but the helmet, they aren't blowing the whistle till your team gets the puck. And even then, I'm not even sure. Like, I don't even know if it's like an injury where once your team gets the puck, we'll blow it. Like, you, they should actually actually have to force a whistle before, you, uh, before you're before you supposed to 
Like technically the refs actually give both guys a break just by whistling it when there was possession. Um, technically the game has to come to a natural stoppage before you're supposed to get that whistle. So uh, once again, equipment and goaltenders in the spotlight and Vassy handling it like he does most things exceptionally well. Except he looked a little bit like Millhouse there, didn't he? A little bit like Millhouse in the Simpsons tied to all four corners, but another another example of his incredible athleticism that he was able to to work through that. I'm not sure there's a lot of goaltenders at any level, including the National Hockey League, that uh, could anchor both feet on, either, feet on either post and be able to play as, as he was. Um, I, I do think it's a misconception, guys. Like We had a bit of an argument, uh, Darren, yourself and mine, very good-natured last week about whether um, you know the whistle should have gone when Demko lost his blocker. I did see some people commenting that, oh, no, the rule's the same as it is with the gloves. They should have blown the whistle there because it's a danger. And as Woody pointed out, guys, it's uh, the rule, in fact, is only when the helmet comes off does the referee have to blow the whistle. I'd like to see a little bit of... Um, latitude given to the officials so that if they did sense that there was some danger there to the goaltender that they would be able to blow the whistle i don't think it's as great a danger with the skate blade but you could imagine that you're stuck facing the wrong direction and unable to move and about to take a shot to the back of the head or something but uh yeah no i like the rule the way it is and i agree with woody they should have had to come to a natural natural conclusion natural freeze before um before the play was stopped well that's kind of that is the referee giving discretion by allowing them to have the whistle at possession i guess and you're right at the only time it's dangerous i'm trying to remember who it was didn't we have one in the preseason where the goalie sort of slid across hit his post it came out when he got to his post so now he's outside his crease and he was actually facing the corner because his momentum had taken him there and he'd lost a blade and he couldn't he just kept trying to push with this no blade leg and he couldn't rotate back into the crease and he was basically stuck outside his net facing the wrong way that's about the only time i see it as dangerous is if you take a shot to the backside because there is no protection there and in his case i guess he was fortunate that he wasn't in the net because they scored into an empty net rather than into the backside of him so uh, for the most part it's I kind of look at it like this is the risk of the of the gear a little bit, not to go against the goalie union card, but if you got a blade that can pop out, if you're going to lose your block, like this is just the way it goes. You're worried about goalie safety and looking the wrong way or, or being in a vulnerable position. Go look at clips of Murray Bannerman playing the Oilers back in the day. Like he was all over the place uh, making saves and diving across, and he was wearing the, the form-fitting mask uh, at, at that time as well. Uh, I understand what everybody's saying, but after the momentary uh, realization that uh, trying to figure out what was going on, Vasilevsky handled it about as well as you could ever handle it. I know that he can he can get his his feet out to both posts, but boy, it, just from a poise perspective, Hutch, it it was calm, cool, and he realized what he had to do, and he just it went into uh, adaptation mode. Another day at the office. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh... Reminds me of some discussions we've had uh, in the past about, uh, I think we call recovery skating. You know, what happens when you end up somewhere that doesn't fit the goalie school mode, and then you have to find a way uh, back into the net and a way to play under a difficult circumstance. Now, in that case, I'm talking about just positionally, but uh, yeah, that that ability to um, to throw it all away and just be an athlete and just play is something that separates him from from all others. Uh, but in general, separates the the great goaltenders from from the merely good, or as Kevin has talked about before, the goalie school goalies. Do you, do you think a goalie coach is going to make somebody practice that at some point? 
Uh, probably not that one, but we saw a great presentation from uh, David Alexander at the Network Goaltending Symposium many years ago in Wisconsin, and he was talking about recovery skating and showed some video where I can't remember who the goaltender was at the time, Woody, but um, would have been Jake Allen. It was Jake Allen. Was it Jake Allen? And he would he would make a you know do a crease movement, fall into the butterfly, and and then Allen would just sort of jam at one pad or the other to spin him in a different direction, um, something he doesn't anticipate, and then he's got to go from there uh, back to his post in the RVH or, or whatever the appropriate recovery might be. So learning that you're going to get um, bang crashed in in any game at any level, and you've got to be able to recover from those situations. So so that certainly practiced. Uh, Doubt anybody's going out there without a blade in their skate, Darren. But uh, yes, hey, put you tape on your blades. That's the way you. Well, that's your teammates doing that, right? Exactly. Has that ever happened to you? The old prank, which is one of the most dangerous pranks ever, and and they still do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, my my one of my most embarrassing moments. I actually got to go out for uh, it was just a kids' camp, but it was under the Hockey Canada brand, so it was actually pretty exciting for me to step on the ice for something branded Hockey Canada. And I uh, stepped on the ice and fell flat on my face because, of course, I'd left my skate guards on. Did save the camera, though. Did save the very expensive camera. And, uh, you know, I've got no pride anyway. It doesn't matter. I've been there, done that, too. Uh, it happened a couple of years ago as well. I did just it, it's it, You're doomed for it. Woody, you ever, ever do that, or was it just like skating? Yeah, no, for me, it's just actually standing on the ice in uh, in any equipment that causes me to fall. Actually, like jokes aside, we, we talk about equipment and, and how, you know, detailed and dialed we often get with our reviews um ccm skates which i'm in right now and i've been for a while have a very like they have a forward pitch but compared to bauer it's more neutral like so they all have forward pitch but it's less of a forward pitch the last time i went back to a bauer skate which i'd worn for years and and loved their skates too but i'd gotten so accustomed to the new the more neutral pitch of the ccm that I had to, we we did a photo shoot for Bauer Gear, and I put back on the Bauer Supreme skates, and they were pitched so far forward in my mind, or at least in the balance point that I had gotten comfortable with. That as soon as I got out there, it was like I had toe picked. It took me five <laughs> minutes to get comfortable. Like my normal stance, it felt like I like I was nose to the ice. And to be quite honest, once I did end up with my nose on the ice because it just felt so different. And again, you get used to it pretty quick, but you know that all it can take is a little bit of that change in pitch. And that's enough to send me like a, you know, like a deer on ice, just flailing everywhere. Or thanks to Hutch mixing in a few photos, uh, from some less than memorable performances at three on three into our reviews recently. Most people would think that's how I look all the time on the ice. Thank you for that. Hutch battler never gives up. That's Kevin Woodley when he's on the ice. So we've uh, talked at length, uh, on this podcast about the, the great book out there that's called, uh, how to be a goalie parent by Brian Decord, uh, Sensorina ambassador, uh, incredible asset, uh, as far as leaning on, uh, how to unlock, uh, the different areas of Sensorina and, and the VR world. And so it's, uh, it, he's become a, a great resource to us. There's an article out this week in The Athletic discussing a new metric uh, for goaltending, and it comes from uh, Brian in a, in a roundabout way. It's, it's sort of one of the discoveries that Brian's come up with uh, through his new app. Uh, you want to walk us through this, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, it's freeze right? And the, the article, I think the article was meant to be about the app, which Hutch, you've used, and it's a fantastic tool for goalie coaches and goalie parents in the sense that very quickly, once you get comfortable with it, you can chart games and add an element of 
shot quality context to your young goaltender's performance. So if you're a coach going to the room with your head coaches and they're like, ah, the goalie was crappy, gave up four tonight, you can look at your stats and either say, yeah, you're right, they probably only should have scored three and he gave up four, or you can look at your stats and say, you know what? We're giving up so many great A's here that they actually, the expected goals was eight. My only guy only gave up four. So maybe your defenseman might want to, you know, tighten, tighten things up a little bit in front of them. So uh, it's a fantastic tool for that. But I think what happened was the takeaway uh, from the author in the article was one aspect of that tool is it measures what Brian calls freeze rate. And that's, you know, uh, the ability to control play by basically killing play. So how many pucks do we hold on to? on shots to get face-offs? How many pucks do we freeze? Do we send out of play on low shots into the stands or do we control with our gloves or body and not give up rebounds? So, um, And it became sort of an article unto itself in terms of this freeze rate. And it's been measured by public analytic companies in the past as well. Uh, you know, you can use NHL play-by-play data to come up with a primitive version of freeze rate, which is just how many times after a shot does the play end and there's a whistle. Um, I think in Brian's case, it's more about controlling rebounds as well when you have the app. And so I started to look around a little bit. This led me to wonder, you know, how important, like Brian thinks it's a real key identifier, like certain goalies hit a certain threshold. And so that's where the article went. And so I was curious because I got to think that like rebound control is important, right? Like um, it is a factor. And so started looking around to goalie coaches to see how they measure it. And I ended up talking with Mike Lawrence, who's coaching over in Switzerland. And he works with a guy, has been worked through pro goaltending and started working with him with his Swiss club, um, Thibaut Chatel. Chate- Hopefully I got that uh, last name right, Thibaut. Um, and we ended up, he, so he shared some data with me and we ended up going over it. And it was really fascinating because they call it kill rate. They've been measuring it for three years. And instead of freeze rate, they call it a kill. And it can either be ending a play or any controlled rebound. So one that goes into the corner where there's no danger or one that gets kicked to a teammate on purpose. So taking in a little more context and, you know, it does become an important tool, but they've also created expected freeze rates. Just as we have expected goals based on shot quality, they've created a whole metric for, you know, what types of shots should expect what level of freeze rate. Like if you got a point blank one timer in the slot off a lateral pass, you just want to make that save, right? Like it's not, a, you, you're worried about that first and foremost. So the freeze rate on that or the kill rate for them might be a lot lower. Whereas a point shot that gets through with no traffic, you want a much higher kill rate. So it is interesting to have gone through this data. They've gone through, they've, they've been doing it in the Swiss league for years. They've got just tons of sort of, you know, tracking and it's all done manually by Tebow. And, you know, it is kind of interesting to see that there are some big statements that can be made by it in terms of goaltender performance. Um, it's around 66% is the average in the Swiss league, but the 60, variation 66% what? Like- of shots are controlled. Okay. And so the, the variation though is interesting. Like there's not a huge swing. Like the worst in the league are 62, 63, and the best are like 68, 69%. So there's not a huge swing. And the other part of the equation is in their mind, they didn't see it as a necessarily an end-all be-all to evaluate goaltenders in terms of if he's got a good freeze rate, he must be good. And if he doesn't have a good freeze rate, he's not going to be good. But that it tied more to style. There were goalies who were active, smaller goalies who were having really big, good success in the league but they were smaller and more active. They moved a lot more. They had a lower freeze rate or lower kill rate, 
but they were still successful goaltenders because they had the speed to recover to some of those rebounds. They got caught moving a little more, but then you had other goaltenders that had, uh, they were a little more stationary, played a little more passively, and they had a better kill rate, but then on the, they weren't necessarily good goaltenders because on the pucks that did get away from them, they didn't have the speed to recover when they didn't have a good one. So their successful saves on, so the goalie with the lower kill rate still made all the saves on the bad rebounds, and the goalie that had a better kill rate when he did leave the loose change, he wasn't as likely to get to them. Like, so there were, it was more of a, for them, it was more about a style analysis of strengths and weaknesses, and that's a key component to it. But it also became a really good thing to learn how to score because you could see areas of weakness because they had it from what area the ice created high rebound rates or high, or low kill rates, what side of the blocker glove, like were there areas on a certain goalie where his numbers varied wildly and could you then target that to create more rebounds and create more second opportunities. So in terms of over, overall evaluation, they didn't come up with any big broad statements like you have to be this level to be this goaltender. It was more that you know the style and the strengths and the weakness of these guys showed up in their ability to freeze or kill these these rebounds. And it became a really good assessment tool in terms of whether did these guys fit our team in free agency? Do their strengths and weaknesses fit there? Can we attack them if we're playing this guy in the playoffs? And so, I mean, just a ton of information there, a ton of data. It was fascinating to go through it all and see what you could pick out. And never would have thought to even ask the question if not for the story on on uh, Brian Decord's app and the freeze rate. So rambling a little bit, but just an interesting piece of the puzzle to me that I don't think we'd considered. And yet we would be be pretty naive, I think, to think that you know, goalie coaches in the National Hockey League weren't considering rebound control as part of their formula for evaluating both their goaltenders and opposition. You got me kind of spun up when when we were talking about this, Kevin. It's fun, Darren. Kevin and I send text messages back and forth from time to time, just knowing we're lighting the other guy up and getting him going. Yeah, you're, you know, Darren gets those too, but they go right to chunk. Junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he got me spun up about this saying, look, people are saying, this isn't new. They've been doing it forever. I'm kind of knocking the the app. I'm not talking about um, Mike Lawrence or or anybody that Kevin has just referred to here, incidentally. Um, but just that maybe the community was not excited about this. And and I just want to point out here. Um, I I don't think that's the purpose of Brian's app. I don't think Brian is suggesting that his app is going to replace all the analytics that are happening at the National Hockey League level or or in European pro hockey. Uh, I think the point is that here's a tool that goes well beyond uh, any of the tools that have been in the hands of parents, minor hockey coaches, minor hockey associations, and so on. Uh, you know, for years we've seen um, the diligent volunteer or parent sitting in the stands tracking shots, and maybe they'll make a little uh, tick mark as to where the shot came from, and and some sort of crude analysis comes out of that. This is just a quantum leap forward in terms of what's available. Um, for for parents, for goaltenders, and and for coaches, and so on, uh, much more objective. Um, for me, Kevin, you talked about expected um, rates there, expected goals. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from Brian's app. The ability to look at expected goals for a game, I I just think is fantastic. There have been many times I've wanted to take game video and ship it off to Steve Valakat and say, can can you run this through your your system for me to tell me what the expected goals should be? But of course that's not available um to people. And now now finally it is. And and so I th- I think it's just a fantastic tool. Um is Brian the first person to talk about freeze rate? No, of course not. But 
I think it is the first time it's available um, for for the the layperson to use. And and incidentally, in terms of the freeze rate, um, he actually has it in three different categories. So it's not it's not just crude. It's certainly not tied to shot location and so on. But uh, he talks about glove freeze rate. He talks about rebound and playmaking freeze rates. Um, I, I just think the tool being available to people is so important. And I and and again, though that expected metric, um, Woody, I'd love to have it in terms of freeze rate in Brian's app as well because it's just that ability to sit down with a goaltender and more objectively analyze their performance um, by comparing it to what maybe it quote unquote should have been uh, is is such an advancement. Um, I, I think I've used this example before. I tested it. I don't really use uh, the app with my own son's games because I just, I'm a stressed out parent and I'd rather be a fan than, than an analytics guy with my own kid. Um, but I did use it for one game and he had, he had a rough game in terms of the scoreboard. And we were able to sit down afterwards and say, well, look, you actually outperformed expected on this game. And it's not the usual, oh, you had 50 shots and you let in six goals. It's not so bad, bud. It's it's a very objective model that shows with these particular types of shots, you should have given up six, but you gave up five or, or whatever it was. I think it's a, it's just a great tool for, for young goaltenders and parents now. Rant over. It, it reminds me in listening to this, it's a uh, goal. Uh, Good rebound, bad rebound, or no rebound. The old, the old terminology that we used, but there's, there's a way to quantify it now. Yeah, it just goes a little deeper. And, yeah. and I think yeah. the, point, the point, I think the article, I think what happened was the article came, became about a statement about the value of freeze mm. rate in terms of evaluating goaltenders. And I do think, and it's funny talking to Thibault and, and Mike about their work and their research into this, they agree there is value. There's a ton of value in these metrics that Brian's talking about. They don't necessarily think it's definitive in terms of whether a goaltender can or can't play at a certain level, but there's still a ton of value in having the metric and analyzing it and being able to break it down, whether it's as an opponent or as a guy considering a goalie in free agency or assessing a goaltender for the draft. There is a ton of value there. Just it, it's maybe not as simple as this metric is going to tell you in their eyes, at least, whether this goalie is good or bad, it's and and, and right, right, it's rarely as black and white as that as that for for any goaltender evaluation. And I think that's where a lot of the analytics community attacked the article itself was because it was sort of presented as a defining statistic, and I'm yes. not sure that's the case. Even though it has a ton of value, and I know Brian believes in it heavily too, um, and others would agree in the value of it. Being able to say good or bad based on this one thing is where the analytics community really push back. And the reality is they also don't have, you know, what they have access to in terms of the publicly available version of this is just very primitive because it's either you stop the play or you don't. Like there are rebounds that are good rebounds, as you said, Darren. Um, there are goalies that steer pucks to teammates and start breakouts. Those are good rebounds. Not all rebounds are bad rebounds. Uh, coaches should never be upset with rebounds because then the puck's not going in that. That's number one. That's what that's what I tell my guys. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, hey, coach, what what what's the alternative here? It could have went in the net. That's a good rebound. All right, just just cool it. Uh, are, are we just at maybe at the at the front edge of this though? Like, what's the maybe maybe the next step or the, the two iterations of this uh, is is really when it's going to take hold. I think absolutely we're at the front step. I mean, 
it wasn't very long ago that we were looking at at uh, you know save percentage or gosh before that just goals against average is a metric that mattered in evaluating a goaltender at a very high level and and now we're we're moving beyond that and it's informing what's happening with the position and it's informing the people that are playing the position i uh, couldn't agree more woody that if we take one of these things as a definitive stat uh we're making a massive mistake it's, it's almost ironic that that's coming from the analytics community when when really it's the uh the eye test community would say that that's the problem with analytics is they're trying to make things too definitive with the numbers and and not employing the eye test uh maybe we could all meet in the middle here somewhere for something a little bit more rational and and absolutely we're we're making steps forward and that ability to for somebody at home to be able to look at a game and and be a little bit more objective in how they're doing their analysis yeah i mean these apps spit, spit out pages of things that that you can look at to to evaluate what you're what you're seeing on the ice and uh and it is absolutely only the beginning but uh it's an exciting beginning for sure you just stumble on something that's unintended and you fine-tune it and then it leads to uh what could be end up being a staple uh in the goaltending community well and and i would just say darren absolutely the process of using this app or any other app um, is very educational unto itself. Um, you discover things in a game that you don't see simply by watching them. Soon as you're forced to look at every single shot and talk about where it came from, what the circumstances were, what what the uh, what the outcome of that was at two or three different levels, uh, you start seeing things in a game that that I don't think you see by merely watching the game and by merely counting shots. And I'm sure. Uh, a very experienced coach evaluator can see deeper than than the average person can but you start having to make decisions was this a good rebound or was it not a good rebound makes you really think to a different level because you start noticing those things like Kevin just talked about did it get steered to a ter- teammate very much on purpose well, I, I like those the sort uh, of decisions there was a comment great. in the in the article about pucks that go off the cuff of a glove as opposed to the goalie that that catches the puck all the time like that kind of thing yeah. you can can really get into and that's part of the app. One of the things you do is, is there's a separate little section as you're tracking specifically for the glove. And did you freeze it? Did you save it? Or did it go in? And those are, those are three very different things. And some guys are going to be cleaner handling those things than others. But maybe we don't notice that unless we look. And it's not all about one individual game. It's going to be about a trend over a period of time, I, I believe. But, uh, but yeah, just those little details, I think people don't necessarily pick out all the time. They just sort of get a feeling, oh, it seemed like that goalie was kicking a few too many out, or it seemed like he wasn't as clean with his glove. And now we have to look at it a little bit more carefully, and I think that's great. Context, and we're just adding a ton of it to be able to evaluate performance that just never was there before. And so again, like to me, the rebound thing, part of that is you need to know the quality of the shot because our expectations on rebounds, what? What sets us up to control a rebound? Being set, being square, being in position early, like all the fundamentals. And this is something that Brian points out in the article. Like guys who have good rebound control are usually guys who beat plays to spots and are set and square. You're less likely to control a rebound if you're getting there late, you're still moving, you're not set, you're not square, right? Because you're not in control. And so your ability to arrive and beat a play and be set and be square and make a clean save is also dictated by the quality of the shot coming at you. Was there a pre-shot pass across the slot line and a one-timer? And again, so every time we can add the context of the shot and the shot quality, it allows us to improve our evaluation of whether 
that rebound, whether it's good or bad, doesn't change, but whether our expectation of whether it should have been good or bad is realistic or not. Like it's just context, context, context. And the more we can add, the more information we can add to that process, the better we are able to objectively judge goaltender performance. And that's why I love ClearSight Analytics. And that's why I love a tool like Brian's developed that allows you to take a look. And that's why I love guys like Mike Lawrence and Thibaut Chatel who are willing to share some of this information and show us how they've been developing these things. You've nailed the name now, Thibaut. You've nailed it. <laughs> well, the first name's easy because he told me it's like Jocelyn. It's just, I'm hopefully I haven't, Thibaut, I apologize if I got the last name wrong, but I appreciate all your time yesterday. I learned a ton, buddy. I'd love to see, here we're talking about outcomes as we're evaluating what a goaltender does. And we're ev- talking about the situation that preceded it from a player standpoint. Um, I'm probably showing my ignorance here that somebody's probably doing this already, but uh, can we track those things you were just talking about there, Woody, with respect to the goaltender? Was he set? Was he square? Did he beat it on his feet? Did he have to slide into it? What were the things the goaltender did that preceded that particular situation? Well, and that, and that there's where, this is where you take the analytics and this is where I love ClearSight. And then you look for the, you, you see if it matches the eye test because you can find a trend you say, I look through all these different shot quality metrics and I see something where a guy's really underperforming. You can isolate that type of shot, click one button, give you all the shots or all the goals, whatever you want of that type of play, hit, hit play and it runs through them. And now we can see, well, okay, is his rebound control poor because he's moving? And then you can also have comparative expectations. Is this because the shot was great and we can weigh the quality? Or is it because this guy's late? Like, does another goalie beat this? Is this something the goalie can fix or is this a product of the environment? And again, our ability to evaluate goaltenders, you're right, sometimes he was moving and that's why. But if he's moving on plays where everybody else is beating it set and square or the guys at the highest level are beating it set and square, you can look back at it and not just say, hey, this guy can't beat this set and square, he's no good. Maybe take a look at it and find, why? Is he too aggressive on the initial? Are we seeing trends in his game that we can fix as goaltending coaches to allow him to have more success? And on the other end, you got coaches looking at it going saying, are there trends in his game that we can target to allow us to have more scoring success against him because he's getting caught in these situations because of this tendency? It's just, it's the giant cat and mouse game on both sides and the more information. Now we tie it to video and we look back and we, and we can match the eye test to the stats and figure out why either help the goaltender become better or on the other end of it, find a way to exploit that tendency more often. Uh, we got to you know, get to our feature interview uh, brought to you by Sensorina and Ben Bishop uh, in just a little bit. Uh, we'll also head over to the Hockey Shop, the Hockey Shop uh, Source for Sports Surrey. Uh, this is a, a fascinating conversation. Just to put a bow on it, uh, on talking about rebounds, uh, we're, like, we're only a couple of years into the, the idea that, that you kick out rebounds and you want hot rebounds or what, what's your terminology that you use woody active rebounds active rebounds you- um i watched uh five minutes of a five on of two-man advantage last night in, in the national hockey league game that i was at and Laurent brassois was the goaltender and like he was they were flying uh away and that was a real defense against the two-man advantage that the minnesota wild had uh both five on three and and six on four and i i I, seeing that in person was extraordinary and and just eye opening to me. Uh, and I don't know whether that's a good rebound and because uh, somebody could be there or uh, it it worked out great and it was amazing wow. and it was exactly what the pads are supposed to do. 
Yeah, the Bauer pads, which are designed for active rebounds. And again, I think teams, we had this conversation um, with Bill Ranford, right? Like teams are working that into their pre-scout. So they should know that this guy plays in pads that are going to generate more active rebounds. So don't get so close to the net because it's going to be tough to control that. So they are adjusting for those things. But the reality is, even if they make that adjustment, because there's two things an act, a hot rebound, an active rebound off a of Bauer pad does, and now CCM offering it in, in their E-Flex 5 goalies like Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom can choose the more active rebound foams in their product as well. And we're, you know, I think I've seen countless examples of that with, uh, with Demko. And I'm pretty sure Stuart Skinner making his debut the other night had a couple ones that came off hot. And I was like, right away, I watched the Watch the rebound. I'm like, oh yeah, he's got the you know yeah. he's got the rebound, the max plus rebound max in rebound. that. Yeah. So, anyways, the point is not just that it goes further away and buys you more time, but that guy standing at the top of the crease, right? If it comes off hotter, it's the, he has that fraction of a second less to react to how it comes off your pads because it's coming by him faster and getting there sooner, and there's less reaction time. So, even if a if a team adjusts by going further away from the net to look for rebounds. That's an advantage to me as a goaltender because that buys me more time to recover. So I think that even as teams start to figure it out and look for it, it doesn't negate the advantage. Now you might they might not be as likely to park on top of the crease and have it hop by them, but they're still if they're parking further away, that's buying me time and space to recover. So like and to vision. me, yeah, exactly. And so to me, that's. Um, you know, I know some guys just want a softer pad and they want it to sort of stay close to them. But to me, the concept of a hot rebound is one that I would be all over as a goaltender. And you're right there. For sure, five on three, power play, things like that, where guys are around the net, there's an advantage there. You know where I love it? Every once in a while, I go to three on three. And in those small ranks, like it is a massive advantage in a tiny three on three rink. Those rebounds will actually become like breakout passes Clears. the other way. Even like, and it's not even on purpose. I'm not that good. I can't control it. It's just so damn hot that it's hitting the boards and going out the other way. I, I was blown away by by how much of a defense it was uh, against the the two man advantage in particular, where they were able to really tee it up and 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 lean into it. Hutch. Well, now and now you're starting to hear conversations that we wouldn't have heard ten years ago, yeah. as as you you watch goaltenders talk about the fact that yeah, I, I need a new blocker because the rebounds just aren't coming off as hot as they used to there's just a different level of what my my gear is supposed to do and now we're seeing different techniques employed i mean uh, i remember going to goalie school as a kid darren back when you and i were playing when you were learning how to steer that blocker save onto the ice into the corner every time and now kids you're working with eli wilson in the summer and one of his big things is up and over up and over up and over doesn't matter where that puck goes your blocker's got to put it over the glass a different type of rebound control there guys um, the new technology and the hot rebounds are changing the game and they're changing the conversation. I think it's really exciting. Hey, when was the Ryan last time you saw, saw somebody trap the, uh, trap the puck on the blocker with, with their oh, glove? Oh, I know. Yeah, eh? that, yeah, that, yeah. We, that, that was a drill we used to do too. That was it? the rebound oh, control. Oh, okay. Hold on. So I was, first thing I was going to say was Ryan Miller always used to, it always amazed me because I hadn't seen anyone else do it, but he would regularly change the blocker board out of his Reebok slash CCM blocker, the zipper at the top. So he would put a fresh board in and it always amazed me to see how beat up the other one was because he's stopping hundreds of shots a day in practice. Second, as you guys bring that up, I kid you not watched Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner doing that exact same thing at a morning skate here in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. Smitty did that save, couple on the blocker side, sort of shots high to the blocker, and he, and he pinched it. 
yeah. with the glove in front of it, caught it with the glove in front of his blocker. And Stuart Skinner, again, I didn't have a chance to talk to him or ask him about this, but from the outside watching this, I think it was an aha moment. Like there was a back and forth between them. Like it was kind of like as the young kid coming up, like with all these new, you know, steer it out of play. He's like, wow, like you can do that. Like it really looked like that from the outside. And so Schwartz, the goalie coach, Dustin Schwartz and, and Mike Smith and, and Stuart Skinner for the next few minutes, they were working on these shots and Stuart Skinner was trying to pin them against his blocker and control it with his glove. So it still exists, boys. And clearly, thanks to the Jedi, Mike Smith, it is being now taught down to younger levels as they watch it. Oh, that just makes my whole day. Uh, let's get over to our gear segment brought to you by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports. Sorry, subscribe to the newsletter. It will, uh, it will change your life. It will maybe not change your life, but it'll make your day better. That I can guarantee it will make your day better. Uh, what's going on with uh, Cam and company, Woody? Well, we talked about sales coming up for Black Friday. Uh, we've got a little tease on one that's on sale now. SLR 3 line, you're seeing it in the National Hockey League, and you know what that means. Two things. One, you can custom order it through Cam. You may not have it. You may not have samples at retail yet. You may not see it in stores, but you can buy this product. And if you want to buy it in a way that's going to fit your game, get all the specs, get all the details, and get it right, make sure you call Cam. The other part, SLR2 is on sale. So with a refresh on what the SLR2 line was all about and some of the features and unique qualities that it has, and there are some that I had forgotten Let's go check out Cam at the hockey shop and have him walk us through the value, not just in terms of what a good pad and product this is, chest protector and pants, but also you can get it on sale. Welcome back to the hockey shop source for sports down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. And Cam has brought out a whole bunch of SLR2, which may have some of you scratching your head, because, hey, it's NHL season. Why am I looking at SLR3 in the NHL and SLR2 at Ingle Magazine's gear review? Now, Cam is typically just behind the times, so I think you probably would understand that by now, but not when he's down here. This is where he actually catches up with the world. Like, in his real life, like, he lives like it's the 40s. But here, he's caught up. So why do we have SLR2? Because it's on sale, because SLR3 is coming. And before we get into the sale items and some of the features on the Vaughn SLR2 line and why you might like to take advantage of this opportunity to get it cheaper, a quick note that you can indeed order, custom order, the same SLR3 gear that you're seeing in the National Hockey League on the likes of Alex Nedeljkovich and others, Darcy Kemper. Um, you can get that gear now. Cam knows how to order it. He'll set you up with a spec sheet. He'll make sure you're getting all the custom features you want. If you don't want to go through that process, guess what? He's got this. So Cam, now that I've given you this beautiful introduction, insulted you only once or twice throughout the process, why don't you tell me what's on sale, how much, give me some details, and why we should consider the SLR2 as an option right now. So for starters, those of you that, you know, for example, like, vintage goalie you know you like your older gear after telling me i was living in the 40s and wearing two vintage hats we have new brand new things for you to to try out and use i didn't appreciate the irony as i was saying it but that's a good point it is yeah i hope you realize that one eh so slr2 uh why it's important why you should take a look at it a it's on for a great price so that's always a great starting point details 
I need details. We are about precision and accuracy in the goaltending world. Give we me some are. details. We are. That does equate to about 20% off on almost all the pieces. Okay. Um, that includes chest, pants, gloves, leg pads. I, th- I thought I was missing something, but I'm not. It's okay. We're, 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 we're on top of You're it. You're missing something, all right. <laughs> and this includes the Pro Carbon as well uh, for what's left over. SLR Pro, we're actually going to be having a, a few more pieces arrive, so keep an eye on the website, www.thehockeyshop.com. Leg pads, some quick features that are definitely worth noting. Um, Tight-fit leg channel on what is marketed as a stiff pad. So this is something a little bit different. Most of the stiffer pads you see you've got on, you know, what would be considered a little bit on the looser side. This one fit quite snug around the leg. A lot of that had to do with their rotation strap, aka professor strap, aka rotation control strap, aka that tight thing that goes around your calf that a lot of guys do like. Um, that's the OG right there. That's the, 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 is, the originator. Is. This is. This is. And that's a, that's a Vaughn-specific thing, you know, often imitated, but never duplicated, I guess, properly. I, I do like the fact that there's a, you got an elastic clip on this one here, so there's a little bit of flexibility there, but it's it's sort of tied in with lace on the inner edge, so you can actually move the height of it somewhat, a couple different spots to adjust sort of or how take it, it off feels. completely. Or take it off completely. That's what I would do, because I'm old and original. Vintage. So, easy to strap up, Velcro system. You do get their quick slide material all along the slide, or uh, the slide surface of the pad. Does work out very well. Multiple... Um, um, users of the SLR equipment definitely did point out uh, the ease of slidability within the pad. Um, it's a great call-out, great feature for sure. Um, this is on the price point, the Pro, they call it, um, and also on the Pro Carbon, which would be the top end. Again, great feature, great slidability. Bungee toe tie system, screw it on for those that don't like it. You can remove that and put on just one of their standard toe bridges if you do wish. Again, overall, pretty great pad for the price point. You know what? Again, something marketed as something that's, that's supposed to be quite stiff, but does have some decent flexibility to it too as well. So definitely worth a look. So, and this is the Senior Pro, but it's actually more like a Senior line. Like it's not there. The Carbon is the top end yes, line. Carbon this is designates. Their, this is their second price point. But what a price point it is, like $767 for this pad with the sale right now. Uh, Canadian does ship across the border for our American friends where your dollar is worth even more. So this is like practically a cup of coffee and you're in, if you're in the U.S. <laughs> yes, that much of a discrepancy. <laughs> Depends where you're buying your coffee. Yes, yeah, well, that's true. Um, and like you said, there is, there is a pretty good, you know, flex profile to these as well. So um, some good options, Cam. You, you mentioned chest protectors, pants, gloves, blocker, all part of this sale as we wait for the SLR3 to arrive. Sometime early in the new year, hopefully, in terms of having it on the shelves in retail. But a reminder, in addition to getting this on sale, call Cam if you've got questions about the SLR3 line from Vaughn. You can do custom orders right now, even if it's not in stores. And as we always say, if you need custom, if you want to make sure you get the gear that fits not just your body, but your game, Cam Matwiv is the guy to talk to. Him and his staff here at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. They'll set you up with the order sheet. They'll get them the, you the custom features that you want. Make sure you check them out before you do any ordering or even consider the SLR3. And like we said, money to be saved on the SLR2. Cam, with those questions about either one, where do they get you? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. It's not a rotary phone, folks. It's actually got buttons. He knows how to operate it. It's pretty remarkable for a guy who's stuck in the 40s. You still got a pager. Get out of here.
I've got clients. Thank you, by the way, for clarifying the pro carbon uh, versus the pro, because I was on uh, the website and I saw that difference and I was going through the the pants and, and I was wondering that. So I, I didn't have to ask you. I, I just listened to the gear segment. So I appreciate that. Uh, those are, those are questions that I had and, uh, and you came up with it. Woody, you're like a, you're like a Jedi. You, you, you know, the answers before I ask the question. Yeah, that's, that's Cam. That's Cam. He's the, he's the smart one. I, I, I'm going to be nice to Cam now because I normally chirp him all the time. But since I chirp him so much in these segments, Hutch has started adding unflattering photos of me playing goal to the video. And that's a good reminder, folks. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a good laugh, either at how I look or the photos of me playing goal, make sure you check out the video segments that go with the gear segment. Each week, we put it out there on our social media, YouTube, Instagram, IGTV, Facebook, all our usual spots, you can check out the sort of video simulcast. And when Cam's describing things, you can actually see the product. So uh, check that out. Um, And yeah, uh, I'm going to be nice to Cam because Hutch is getting revenge for me being mean to him by posting unflattering photos in those videos. Uh, To be fair, he asked for help. Like it wasn't this week's video, but there was another one that's up that he said, Hutch, you got to help me. You got to put something here. And then I got onto a roll. I, I've taken my fair, fair number of shots at Cam over the years, too. You got to admit. So easy, he's an easy target. And let's be honest. So am I. So especially uh, I just can't allow you with a camera into the rink when I'm playing goal. Yeah, it's kind of dirty pool on my part there because I wouldn't want anybody doing that to me. But it was just so easy. And, and I know you're so good natured, Woody. So it's. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, it's a I credit don't, to you that I can do it. I've oh. never pretended. That, I've never pretended that I don't suck, so it's okay. <laughs> like a good comedian, you always got to loop it all back. Who's got a better freeze rate on the shots that that you take at them, uh, Woody or or Cam? Well, they both freeze as soon as the shot comes. <laughs> we didn't even rehearse that. That's that's outstanding. Uh, looking forward to it and seeing what happens over at the, the hockey shop, the hockey shop.com source for sports. Sorry, time for our feature interview and it's Ben Bishop, big Ben mid thirties. Now, uh, didn't play it last year, uh, coming off knee surgery and, uh, is still wanting to play there. There's a lot of people that just think that he won't play again, that he wasn't going to play again, but, uh, this is uh, significant in this conversation and it's brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR Hutch. Sure is. And this week, Sensorina announced that one of Ben Bishop's former teams, the Los Angeles Kings, have uh, inked a, a partnership agreement with them. They've, they've worked with the Kings for years, but uh, now they, have, uh, they are now the cognitive partners of the Los Angeles Kings. And I love the phrasing they've used there because they're making the point that this is not just hop into VR land and start making saves. But there's a whole suite of cognitive tools built in to Sensorina. And we don't talk about those enough. It's been a long time. It's not just the ability to learn to read the play, to read the release, to face shooters above your level. But there's a whole category of cognitive tools built in there so that you can go well beyond the bouncing balls off the wall. But you can actually learn to track pucks through the air. You can increase your reaction time. You can have to make some some decisions as you're reacting to pucks. Heck, you can even do math problems as you're stopping pucks. So it is a cognitive tool that goes well beyond uh, simply stopping shots. And now it's available for both players 
and goaltenders. And in fact, if you have a license for Sensorina, it gives you two licenses. So maybe you're buying it for the the goalie in your house, but maybe mom or dad likes to play a little bit of beer league as well. Well, now they can hop on Sensorina themselves to work on their skills as a forward or as a defenseman and their decision-making skills, especially. Really exciting what Sensorina is doing. This is a tool that NHL teams like the Los Angeles Kings are installing for the use of their players and their goaltenders, and you can have it at home uh, for yourself. And if you get it at home, get involved like Darren and Kevin uh, with this global skills tournament that's going on right now. Every month, competition, face off against all the goaltenders around the world for supremacy, possibly ending with a trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. That'd be cool. Be able to hook up with our friends at the Stanley Cup playoffs. That would be one. I like that idea. Sounds like a field trip. That'd be a short drive for me to Edmonton. I can just go to Edmonton, right? They're a wagon right now. Wow, you're calling your shot. No Mike Smith for a little while, though, but we digress. We should probably get to Ben Bishop. Game 15, what he's calling a shot. It's it's 1928 (laughs) all over again. Listen, listen, this is the closest (laughs) we're getting to a cup. Have you watched the Canucks lately? The next yeah, province won't be busy in playoff season. The next province over is the closest I need to. Let's just say that I got a golf trip booked for Band and Dunes at the end of April with a bunch of buddies, and I was a little worried about it conflicting with the playoffs. I'm not so worried anymore here in Vancouver. Uh, looking forward to uh, t- if we can all get together and uh, and uh, break some bread over uh, the Stanley Cup final and talk some goaltending. And uh, and right now, uh, one of those conversations in the goaltending world revolves around the Dallas Stars and. What what they're doing with their net mining position? I think a lot of eyebrows were raised when when Braden Holpe was signed uh, for this year. Uh, Anton Hudobin, Jake Ottinger uh, in the fold, and Ben Bishop is still under contract. And uh, there is some insinuation or assumption that uh, they made that move because Bishop wasn't going to be able to uh, play again, or we weren't going to see him in a Dallas Stars uniform. Uh, not so, because he's. He wants to play, and and Kevin Woodley had an opportunity to catch up with him in our Sense Arena VR feature interview. What's the last year and a bit been like for you? Like, I'm watching you out there just busting your butt, working on practice, and that you haven't been able to get into a game for a while. How, how frustrating has this been? And you're a guy that's always smiling around the rink. Has it been tough to maintain what from the outside looks like a, just a true love for the game and the position throughout all this. Yeah, it's been different. Uh, obviously it's been a, a process, I guess is the best word to, you know, use because they had the surgery, you know, the meniscus repair. So it's a six month, eight month type of timeline. And it kind of, that timeline was coming up right at the end of last season. So, you know, last season was kind of out of the question, even though we were trying, it just didn't work out. But it kind of worked out for the best because it gave me some more time to, you know, keep rehabbing, get the knee stronger, kind of get used to, you know, the new challenges of playing with, you know, kind of the new knee and kind of learning what works, what doesn't work and just having that extra time. And then now this year, obviously, you know, I haven't practiced until, you know, this season. So it's nice to kind of slowly get back into these practices, you know, go on with the guys, you know, before and after, help them out. It's kind of nice, you know. Having three, you know, older goalies here, uh, you know, gives everybody a little bit of a break. So <clears throat> keep those guys fresh, and it's still, uh, still, it's still a process. Still working towards that end goal of you know getting back and playing. What does it say? Like what, credit to Jeff Reese because I watch you guys. Three goalies to manage in practice is not always easy, and yet you've got three guys who are so different. Like 
what does that say about his ability to work with guys who have different strengths and like different things? Like, like I think it's a feather in his cap that doesn't get talked about a lot. Right. Reeser's, you know, he's got to be one of the best, you know, out there. Uh, it's one of those guys that, you know, he works towards your strengths. He doesn't necessarily try to, he doesn't change anything. He doesn't tell you to do something a different way. He takes what you do well and works with you to, you know, tone those skills and, you know, work on them. And then every now and then he might throw, you know, some, a suggestion in there, but he, yeah, it's different too, right? Because, you know, Doby's Doby, uh, you know, Hopi's he had an unbelievable career, sound goal. He does everything, you know, really well. And then I'm, you know, kind of that bigger guy that's a little deeper and a little more uh, relaxed. So, uh, you know, th those guys are obviously the ones that are playing right now. So they take everything they want to take. Uh, for me, it's just kind of getting in there before and after. And if they want to, you know, a breather in the middle of a practice, uh, I'll go ahead and take some shots. So it's worked out well so far. Obviously, it's not something you want to deal with all season. Hopefully, we can, you know, figure out, you know, what's going to happen here sooner than later. But right now, it's working well. You still have fun out there? Like, oh, yeah, I love it. You know, it I think like... that's the thing is, you know, not skating last year, not getting to practice once or play. That's, you know, just being back out there with the guys right now. That's, you know, you know, you love it. That's what you do. Where did that come from growing up in St. Louis? Like, where did, did, I know you played out before you were a goalie. Did you, was it you going like, I love goal. I got to be a goalie. Like, where did that, where did that drive to be no, a goalie No, not at from? all. It was really just one of those things. I played hockey. I was a forward for, you know, the first however many years. Everybody took a turn playing goalie. I was pretty good at it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was one of those guys that, you know, liked being out there the whole game, didn't like coming off. So I got to play the whole game. Uh, and just kind of went from, you know, obviously doing it for, because you love the game. And then slowly you kind of got better. And then I was stuck in goal, but I, I liked it. So it wasn't like I ever complained about it. And then, you know, going growing up in St. Louis back then, there really wasn't, you know, much guidance as far as what to do, how to do it. You know, I think Mike McKenna was, just a couple of years ahead of me. So he kind of helped, you know, pave the road a little bit. So it was just one of those things. You're just playing it for fun. And then one thing led to another. And next thing you know, you're here. <laughs> was there a point where you remember thinking like along that development path where it was like, hey, I could like, not only is this something I'm good at and, and I enjoy, but where it became serious, like, hey, this is something I could do for a long time and at the highest levels. It wasn't until my, I, I got drafted in the USHL by Tri-City and then we went to the camp and I got drafted by the Texas Tornado in the NHL. Went to the USHL camp. They told me to go play the, for the North American League team. They basically got cut. And uh, so I went down there and same thing, two goalies. I didn't even know if I was going to, you know, make the team or what was going to happen. Made the team, started playing there. And it wasn't until like a couple months into the season. And even then, you know, we had a good team down there. So it was fun. We were having, you know, playing well. And it wasn't until like, like a month or two into the season, the coach was like, you're on the, you know, NHL central scouting. And then, you know, all of a sudden these colleges came to start watching. And then it was just like one of those things where I went from maybe, you know, not even making a junior team to two months later, I'm, you know, colleges are looking at it. So it wasn't until my senior year of high school and, you know, a couple months into my junior season where I was like, oh, maybe I can go play college and I might get drafted now. So it all like went quick, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I played for, you know, great team down there, the Texas Tornado, which really helped me kind of moving forward. The game evolves, has evolved so much since back then. Like, w what was your experience? Like you said, in St. Louis, not a lot of goalie coaching, not a lot of sort of the technical side of the game. Um, when did you sort of get your first sort of experience of that side of it? And is there a benefit? Like, your ability to read and anticipate and things like that are also exceptional. Is, do you think that's honed by the fact you didn't get too technical too early? Yeah, I didn't have a goalie coach until my freshman year of college. That was the first time I ever had a goalie coach 
So before that, it was all just kind of do it on your own. Obviously, you had some people that helped along the way that um, there's a guy in St. Louis, Lindsey Metalbrook, when I was a little kid, you know, but that was, you know, he was probably teaching me skate saves back then. Uh, so he was there in St. Louis, but other than that, no, there was nothing. Um, you know, just played hockey, played other sports. It wasn't until, you know, I think my freshman year of high school where I just started playing hockey, kind of had to drop the other ones because there was no time. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't until my freshman year of college, Grant Stanbrook, who's one of the, you know, Legends. best ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I got to work with him and even hit, he was not a technical goal. He was more working on skating and edges and like out on the blue line around the dots, not in the, in the crease. So he was more of that. And then he would kind of tell me tidbits and it really wasn't until I had Wammer for a bit, but he was in St. Louis, but it wasn't until Corey Hirsch came to Peoria. He's the one, the first guy I had that really like toned me down. He's like, all right, you got to play deep in your crease, use your size. So I owe a ton of credit to Corey Hirsch. He's the one that really turned my career around. Well, he's doing, yeah. he's doing radio here in Vancouver. So I'll have to give him a plug. So you're in the American hockey league and that's the first time somebody tells you to play a little deeper. What was your style to that point? And do you think having to sort of rely more on reads to that point and just sort of play on instinct again is a positive looking back at it? Yeah, it was one of those things where, like I said, the first goalie coach I had was Grant Stanbrook in Maine. And what I was telling you was, you know, he wasn't much of a technical guy. It was just kind of, you know, worked on your skating. He was you know, pretty good as, you know, talking about the mindset. And he'd obviously had, I think, the previous eight goalies had played in the NHL. But he wasn't much of a, and he was an older guy at that point as well when he was coaching me. So, and then I went to sign with the Blues and in the American League, we had Wammer and Wammer was more movement, you know, back and forth and like up and back, kind of more a little old school. And then I had Belfort for a minute. He was the goalie coach there for uh, a couple months. I feel like I got to ask what that was like. Yeah, no, it was awesome. He was great. He was unbelievable. Uh, he taught me a lot in the little bit that he was there. He only made a few trips up there, and then I think it was just too much for him living in Texas. And then it, when Hershey kind of came in, Hershey was the first goalie coach we had that was spent quite a bit of time with us. I think his main – he was just the American League goalie coach. Okay. Um, so he spent a lot of time, and he was the one, you know, coming. I think he was with – you know, had worked with Burke – Sean Burke and uh, he was like you need to you know stay in your crease or stay in the blue paint you know you're big enough you got all the skills uh, I, I was just kind of being too active so he's the one that really set me back and kind of you know, almost made the game a little bit easier. Now being too active though I'm guessing again being a big guy and if you're active that means you got to move more which means you have to be less margin for error like we, when we hear guys back up it's about sort of making the game simpler but to survive out there, I've heard this about prospects where, you know, NHL teams will look at them and they'll be like, man, he's really aggressive for his size, but he gets away with it. And that shows, again, good instincts and reads. Like there's maybe some value in having come up that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was just still so raw at that point, you know, never really having too much coaching. So it wasn't until, you know, Hershey, he helped. And then I got back to Ottawa with uh, Wammer. But at that point, when you're in the NHL, you have a full-time goalie coach. He's with you every single day. So, you know, the minors, we didn't have that. Uh, you were on your own, kind of. So once you've, you know, got to the NHL level, then you had guys that you worked with every day and you could kind of work with each other and fine-tune things. And so, yeah, before that, it was just kind of just extremely raw. <laughs> now, a lot of different voices there, too, right? You said even though it wasn't full-time and um, 
that can be tough sometimes for goaltenders that move around, whether it's up and down American Hockey League or from team to team. How did you manage that? Because sometimes, you know, I've talked to guys over the years where you go to a new team or you get a new voice and they want you to do something and you can get caught between what you think is best for you and trying to please the guy who might decide whether you start or how much you play. Right, exactly. I, I, at the end of the day, you're the one doing it. So whatever you do out there, uh, you know, it's your own decision. So you know, even though, like I said, at the American League, you had somebody come down and like kind of try to help you out, but then he wasn't there. So it wasn't like you were talking to him every day. So you were still doing your own thing. But then when Hershey came in, he kind of sent me back. And then I went back to Ottawa with Wammer and Wammer had kind of changed his philosophy just to like a little bit, you know, he's still like, you know, getting, you know, out and then coming back type deal. A little flow. A little flow. Yeah, exactly. That's the word he used as well. And, and then, but I had kind of incorporated that, you know, deeper play and just kind of using my size more to my advantage. So it was, I enjoyed it. You know, the goalie coaches I've all had because it's nice to hear what other people think. And I have never had a goalie coach that said, I've been lucky, you know, that do it this way. You know, this is how we're going to do it. Like, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I've never had that. You know, I had Reeser, Franz, Wammer, Hershey, and Grant Stanbrook. So, and then I, a little bit in LA. So, yeah, with Billy, I've never had anybody have that type of attitude, which is, can't imagine playing for a goalie coach that was like that. Right. So it's no always dictatorships. been, yeah, it's been good. And it's also great to learn. You learn a little bit from each goalie coach. So you can take a little bit from them and take a little bit from that. And like I said, at the end of the day, you're the one that's doing it. So you kind of find out what works you work on in practice. And then when you go into the game, it's kind of nice to have had all those different, you know, opinions and, you know, some, you know, good goalies that have played in the league and, you know, have experience. So it's nice to learn from, you know, different guys. What about guys you played with? Um, who are some of the guys that jump out? I think the one I've heard a lot of guys tell me about what, like the guy like Craig Anderson, um, you know, like the way he reads releases and the things they like guys still talk about the way he reads releases and and how successful he is with that and how good he is at that. Or some of the voices that you picked up things along the way from. Yeah. I've been fortunate to play with a lot of different, a lot of different guys, a lot of different styles. Uh, yeah, Craig is definitely a, a feel it goalie, right? When he's on and he's feeling it, he can make it look easy and make guys look silly. And uh, he just kind of goes with the flow. I wouldn't say he's more of a, he's definitely not a technical guy. Not so, a technician, no. No. And then, you know, I got to play with Quickie for a little bit in LA and that was a lot of fun just seeing how he does it. And then, you know, playing with Kudobin, like, yeah, it's, it's, I've had some good partners along the way. Uh, I played with the Bakoff. That was, uh, in Abbey, that was a lot of fun. Obviously, he was a little different. So, I haven't played with too many guys that play like me. So, it's kind of, I haven't been able to really, uh, you know, learn too much from some of the guys I've played with just because obviously you do, but they've all played extremely different than me. Um, you know, I got a chance to play with Manny Legacy, Alex Ald, uh, you know, Ty Conklin, Mason, just great guys. I really don't have one bad thing to say about any of those guys but uh yeah you just pick up things watching them i guess you you know little things here and there um but yeah i, I can't say you know if i've learned one thing you know i've, I've watching quickie with his stick around the net you know kind of going stick on stick you know putting his you know blade on the other guy's blade that was kind of fun to watch that that was something i picked up from him um yeah but just little things here and there you just mentioned nobody plays like you. How would you like? How would you describe your style? And what and what allows you to have had so much success over the years? What do you think the keys are to it? When you 
like especially coming back after a long absence, what are sort of the the foundations, the things that I need to feel this and feel good about this because that's my game? Well, I think just the, the style, you know, playing deeper. Uh, it's all about the reads, uh, reading the rush, reading the players, kind of reading, the, like you said about Craig, you know, reading it off the stick. Uh, that's when, you know, I'm at my best when I'm, you know, kind of seeing the play before it happens. And it's about just kind of getting that back right now and, you know, keeping the game simple. Uh, Grant Stanbrook always said you want to play like, uh, you know, the bubble, the bubble uh, hockey goalie there. You want to be that short little movement, you know, play like a 90-year-old man. So uh, that's kind of <laughs> might be the way I'm going to have to play when I come back. But uh, yeah, just kind of that learning the reads, you know, anticipating before it happens. That's funny. I've heard Grant Stanbrook's name a lot because Alfie Michaud's been a guest on the yeah. program before and, and, and still a legend at the University of Maine. So it's good to know some of those <laughs> yeah. lessons are still paying off. Uh, when you left Tampa, Bassey still talks about you and the mentorship role you played for him. If you had an opportunity now to go back and talk to, say, rookie Ben Bishop or second-year pro Ben Bishop, what would you say to him? What would the advice be, the first thing? I guess the game's changed so much since yeah, then. I was lucky that I had good mentors and, you know, you know, Manny Legacy was great to me and Ty Conklin was great to me and Mason was unreal to me and even Alex Ald when I got to... Uh, to Ottawa, he was kind of on his way out. So they were all they were all you know good mentors to me, and I think that's why when Vassy came up, you know, I just kind of those are the way those guys helped me out. You know, I was going to help this guy out too, and you know, you look at Vassy, he has you know every single tool. Uh, it's it's so impressive. You know, I think he's going to go down as one of the best ever. You know, all time, and just to see that from the first skate, <laughs> you know, I tell people like the first couple times I saw this guy on the ice, I'm like this guy's going to be unbelievable. Like, you know, you just knew it right away. It wasn't like played with some good goalies, you know, coming up, but he was in a different league. So it's a lot of fun to watch him. And, you know, it, it was, it was neat to see him because he was so young and he was still learning the language. He was still, and he was so eager to learn from me too, which made it more fun to kind of teach somebody that, you know, he wasn't that great, at, you know, handling the puck, but now you look at him and he's, you know, unbelievable at handling the puck. And he worked at his craft so hard at a young age and still does. And that's why he's still arguably the best ever or in the game right now. So stick handling, also a, a strength of yours. Um, advice for kids to work on that? Because it's one of the things that I think can be a real separating skill for goalies now. And yet sometimes, whether it's minor hockey or even goalie camps, there's not a lot of emphasis on it. I noticed today you're doing a drill where you're basically out there as a target for the guys who are getting bag skated. But at the end of every rep, research throwing a puck into the corner and you're playing it. Is that an example of just you got to find times to work on those things yourself? Or Absolutely. And for me, it was just, you know, I played forward for the first four or five years of my career. And I just loved handling the puck. I loved scoring goals when I was younger. And even when I was coming up and I started just being a goalie, you know, I was that guy before, the, before you know, practice, I was skating around shooting pucks. I wasn't necessarily like stretching or doing technical stuff. I was just messing around with the puck and even in the garage, you know, I was always shooting pucks with a goalie, you know, goalie stick. And I just always, even to this day before and after practice, I love, you know, passing pucks and shooting I, pucks. I, I saw in the power play drills, you were actually out there at the top, sort of like the top of the umbrella, passing pucks to the one time yeah, on either side. Yeah, it's just something I, I, I love messing around with it. Uh, I've always want to have a puck on my stick. You know, some of my, one of my favorite parts about playing in a game is when you know, we have the power play and the chance of them dumping the puck in my end and then I got a chance to play it. That's one of my most, <laughs> I love that part of the game, you know, hoping to make a play. So it's just something I've done as a kid my whole, you know, way up. It's just messing around. You don't have to work on it really. You just have to grab a puck and go around and 
you know, shoot pucks, pass, but like mess around. It doesn't have to be a drill. It could just be, you know, getting there out, getting out there early and just skating around with the puck. And that's that's the, it's funny. We've heard that from Marty Berger. We've heard it from some a lot of the great puck handlers of the game. It's it's really just about finding opportunities in practice to work on it. Yeah, and I would say just when you're even when you're learning like passing the puck, you want to like pass it as hard as you can. I remember like when I was a kid playing catch with your, like, your brother or something, you're throwing the ball as hard as you can every time. My mom would always yell at me. But <laughs> even when you're passing the puck in practice, you want to try to pass it as hard as you can just so you could kind of get used to, you know, that speed and, you know, making it, making a crisp hard pass. Your dad was a pro tennis player. Grandfather was. Oh, your grandfather. Okay. Yeah. They had it wrong on there. Did, did you, were other sports, you mentioned this. I know like I've, I've seen you when you get to go to the batting practice, like just, you know, n- knocking it out of the park. What, like, do you think other sports are important to you? 100%, especially for the goaltending position. I think that's arguably the most important thing for young goalies is to play other sports. Um, you know, parents ask me all the time what they could do, and it's about learning the coordination or getting the coordination of, you know, hitting a baseball, you know, ground balls, catching fly balls, uh, you know, dribbling a basketball, all those different things, you know, to work on your hand-eye and coordination. You get it from other sports because at that young age, you don't want to be just playing hockey 24-7. Obviously, as a kid, you do, but there's other, you know, benefits coming from other pl- playing other sports. And I was lucky because in St. Louis growing up, you never, never thought you are going to play pro hockey. So, you know, I played tennis, you know, golf, baseball, basketball, football, soccer. My whole, it wasn't until my, you know, freshman year, I tried out for baseball, made the team, but then it was, you know, couldn't do it. So that was... My freshman year was finally when I had to just focus on hockey. Before that, I played, you know, sport, different sport every single season. It's funny because uh, I, I know like guys like Lundquist use tennis and racket sports in the off season to train. It makes sense because it's lateral movement on your feet and eye hand coordination. Was tennis something you used in the off seasons at all? Or yeah, I played tennis every day as a kid growing up, and then obviously the older I got, I didn't play it as much. Uh, so yeah, no, I, you know, I played tennis every every day. Every Tuesday to Friday was a kid, and uh, and then you'd go to you know golf lessons and swimming practice in the morning, and then soccer practice at night or baseball at night, and hockey you know twice a week. So physical literacy, yeah, is it, it was just one of those things, and and you know the, the love was always there for hockey, and but even then he only practiced you know twice a week as a kid. That's just the way it was, and then a couple games on the weekend. So it wasn't like it was every single day. Size. Obviously, we see teams chasing it now. Everybody wants square footage in net. But when you came up, I, like I'm not sure we were there yet as a as a league or as a mindset towards goaltenders. Like, was there ever a point where people told you you were too big, or where you felt like your size was something you had to overcome as opposed to a strength? No, I didn't think it. You know, I I never had a crazy growth spurt. You know, I was always just the tallest. It wasn't like one year I just you know shot up and then. You know, I was that tall, so I think that's what helped with my coordination as far as not ever having to go through that awkward phase. And then I think it's just as the, you know, the, the league's evolved, I think you're just seeing it kind of across all sports. You're seeing just these kids are they're bigger and they're more athletic, and it's just kind of, I don't think there's just these tall goalies that teams are chasing. I think it's just, you, you know, maybe some of the forwards aren't as big as I used to, but it, everybody's just more athletic now. and. We see Vassy at six foot four. He moves like I mean as well as anyone who's five foot ten. Like he's, right, yeah. I think it's just the games evolved, especially that position. You just find more guys that are athletic and that size and that want to do it. And I mean, nobody knows they're going to be that tall when they're that young. If usually when they fall in love with you know goalies, so I think it's just the way the games evolved. They just have more kids that are more athletic and you know better skaters and kind of that. Do you marvel at how it's evolved sometimes when you watch the way goalies move? Like I mean, 
when I started doing this in the early 2000s, I remember back then, there'd be guys in the NHL that would tell me they'd go to camps in the summer and 13-year-olds were doing proper leg recoveries. And, and in the NHL at that time, not everybody did it, right? Now you watch some of these kids, they move around on their knees. I think it's Shesterkin and obviously Vassy, like they move around on their knees as well as some guys skate. You know, when I came in, you know, I was with Manny Legacy and Ty Conklin. And there wasn't just, there just wasn't as much emphasis on the technical side. There wasn't as much, you know, post-play. I mean, there was, but the way that it was played was different. Yeah. And, you know, the, the way that guys can get into the reverse now and pop in and out of it, I think that's kind of how it's evolved the most. And I was kind of on that train. I think right when I was in college, when I started doing that reverse, or the one knee down, the, you know. The traditional VH. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what it started. But... Yeah, I mean, I, there's still so many different styles, even in today's game. I think some of the guys are so technical, but you don't have to be. You look at, you know, Dobie, you know, he's not the most technical goalie, and sometimes he's he'll play, you know, the same play th different three times, but all three times he finds a way to stop the puck, and then at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So, Can there I, be a benefit to that unpredictability in an era where we've got shooters now growing up looking for certain butterfly tendencies? Can, you know, some of the guys feel, you know, if I throw a different look at them, that might not be a bad thing every once in a while. Right, I think so. And I think that's what's made, you know, look at like Craig Anderson, though, we like these guys successful for such a long time because they are unpredictable. And, you know, I, I don't know if the being technical, I think that's what separates the, every goal is so technical now, so young, and it's the guys that can read the game that are ones that make it. So it doesn't matter how good technically you still have to learn how to read the game and when to stand, when to go down, what's the you know proper technique at that time. And I think the guys that learn how to you know read the game and you know kind of predict what's going to happen before it happens are the ones that make it because they're all so good technically now. Ben, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to let you go. Puck's going to drop here. We've got to get up and watch a game. But uh, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing you back on the ice making all those great reads sometime soon again too. Anytime. Thank you. Best phrase in that entire interview, what a good guy, uh, Ben Bishop, uh, was when I come back. And uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, what, a, what an opportunity to, uh, to spend some time with him. And uh, we appreciate uh, that, uh, that little visit with Ben Bishop and Kevin Woodley. Uh, or, or should I saw, uh, say the goalie whisperer, Kevin Woodley. Uh, Hutch, uh, is that what he's going to go by now? Well, it used to be face of the franchise. Now it's goalie whisperer. Um, you know, we, we used to tease him a little bit around here with face of the franchise. But now that he's made his guest appearance as co-host of the famed 32 Thoughts podcast, where they are calling him the goalie whisperer from In Goal Magazine, uh, I think that one's going to stick. And honestly, congratulations, Kevin. That's that's big. Um, one of the biggest hockey podcasts in the world. And for them to call on you to to sub in, to come in as an emergency backup, yeah. Um, awesome. Can't wait to listen to it. As if you guys don't have to, like, listening to me here isn't enough. Now you got to listen to me somewhere else. Uh, no, thanks to well, Jeff. Well, hey, but by the way, and, and as you look at the preamble to this podcast, they do mention that it's part one. I'm pretty sure they booked you for one only, and you talk so much it had to be two parts. Listen, in my defense, I was told we would be on for an hour to an hour and a half, so I stuck within the parameters, and then I guess those parameters were dictated two parts, so... What do we call it? We call it Woodley time. So 
I guess uh, maybe it wasn't appreciated on a length standpoint. But hey, listen, super honored that uh, Jeff Merrick reached out and asked me to be on the podcast. And a lot of the stories that I tell there are ones that you've heard here, folks, and will be familiar with. Um, so we went through all sorts of aspects of different goaltending stories. So it was a fun appearance and Jeff made it easy and made me relaxed and it was a good time. I look forward to uh, some new people in our audience in the next couple of weeks uh, because of the exposure on 32 Thoughts. Uh, thanks for uh, for spreading the word uh, on behalf of uh, goaltenders everywhere. Uh, did did you take that two-part series, that hour, hour and a half uh, philosophy, and then bring it into this episode? Because we, we, we went deep today. Yeah, we pushed it. Eh? I'm, 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 I got a lot of time on my hands these days, guys. The Canucks are out of town, so I'm just rambling on endlessly. Uh, anything going on over at Ingle, Meg? One thing that's really big over at Ingle, guys, is not one, but two pro reads up this week, both looking at three-on-one situations and both with goaltenders who are new to the uh, the pro reads family. Curtis McElhenney looks at a uh, beautiful save he made on a, on a three-on-one that ended up on the back door. And uh, Braden Holtby, in fact, speaking of the Dallas Stars, uh, one of his saves with Dallas against the Los Angeles Kings, also a three-on-one scenario. Both very different, uh, both talking a little bit about the defensive coverage that's involved, the reads that uh, are being made as a result of what they know their defensemen's responsibilities are, what theirs are, and then obviously uh, the options that are dictated by by the offense that's coming at them as well. So love both of those, sort of a two-for-one special this week uh, on Pro Reads, and we always talk about that being one of the the biggest foundations of of Ingle, and I would really suggest people get over there, check them out. A uh, great way to learn is to listen to pros talk to you about their game. Two for ones, talking about two on ones, kind of all. Yeah, we need one more. We need one more, so it really is a three in one week. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to go through the archives see if we can get one put together. Uh, again, congratulations to Zach Vicali, uh for his National Hockey League debut and a shutout. the The journey and what it took to get there overshadows a little bit that the guy was perfect in his first game and picked up a win mic drop that's see you later no 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 he worked so hard to get there <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. He's not going keep anywhere on, now. Uh, onto the mic um uh, woody congratulations on uh, on your endeavors uh really proud of you uh and happy and i uh, can't wait to uh to see some of the uh the new people that join uh our dressing room in the next uh, couple of weeks uh and appreciate uh what uh, the, we had with uh, with Ben Bishop as well. Uh, that was fun. And Cam over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Sign up for the uh, newsletter. Uh, Black Friday sales uh, coming. It's, uh, it's a furious time uh, right now in the world of goaltending. And we'll chat with you next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs>